You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer with Ring Digital, also here with my co-host, Bart Kaler of Kaler Solutions. And today, we get to talk to Bill Faust, and he is the Senior Partner and Chief Strategy Officer of Ology. And he is going to bring his wisdom and his experience about branding and marketing to the conversation. And I will say it was a pleasure listening to both Bart and Bill go through the topics of branding and marketing. Yeah, I have always uh, respected Bill and Ology. I, I think that uh, from a distance, uh, they've, they've done some amazing work. Uh, they are really working with the biggest brands in higher education. So you think about the D1 schools and, and all of those large brands. A lot of that work comes out of Ology in Columbus, Ohio. And I've been really impressed with him. And this conversation uh, was was great. Um, we were introduced through Ethan Braden at Purdue University, who's been a guest a few times on the podcast. And I really like how Bill and I were able to talk about branding and marketing. And I love how he was able to kind of kind of get down to the basics and the foundations of things so that it's very accessible, even though he does work on these large campuses and these large schools with large projects. Uh, we were able to kind of put it in a place that it's accessible to the lowest shelf so that even the smallest schools that are listening are really going to be able to walk away with some really key pragmatic takeaways. If you've ever wanted to get free advice from a high-level individual, don't walk away from this episode. Here is our conversation with Bill Faust. Bill, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. We are so happy and honored to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We like to start out our conversations with our guest with the question, please share with us something that you've learned recently that you might think is interesting enough for the community to know. Uh, great question. I, I don't know if this will be interesting to everybody, but I think my biggest revelation lately is about six weeks ago, I became a grandparent for the mm. first time. Congratulations. Which, thank you, which, uh, you know, num number one makes me feel old, uh, although, you know, uh, you're as young as you feel, right? But I think the thing I've learned from it is just how, like, everybody warned me, they're like, your priorities will change, right? You'll, you'll, you'll start shifting the way you allocate your time and you know, how much time you want to spend with your grandkid and all that. And they're absolutely right. Like, it's, it's all my wife. My wife and I are consumed with it now. We're like, we're, we're going to move to Baltimore so we can be close to them. Um, <laughs> not really, but I mean, you yeah. know, we, we've talked about it. So, uh, so that, that's kind of a new thing for me that's really fun and exciting. Congratulations. Yes, most new grandparents are shouting it from the rooftops. And I believe everyone thinks that that's interesting. So blessings to you and your family. Thank you. We... Love the fact that we have you on being a senior partner at Ology. If you would, for those who might not be familiar with your agency, if you can give us a brief introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll start with Ology, and then I can sort of fill in a little bit about me. But sure. Ology, Ology is, a, is a branding and marketing agency uh, that is focused almost exclusively on education, uh, most of that is higher education, so our core clients are colleges and universities. 
And uh, we do work with what I call some adjacent categories in healthcare, mm. uh, museums, cultural organizations, but most of those are, are come to us because they're somehow connected to education or they have an educational mission or, or, or it might be a fundraising connection or something like that. Um, so, you know, we, we basically do marketing for the greater good and, uh, you know, I love it because every day we get up and say, okay, not only are we going to do fun stuff, but, you know, it's going to make the world a little bit better anyway. Um, so that's Ology. We've been around for 35 years, but kind of our, our current self is about 20, 20 years old-ish. Um, and my role, I'm one of the two partners, uh, along with Bev Ryan, who founded Ology. I tend to focus on more of what I call the, the outside stuff, the, you know, finding new clients and mm-hmm. our marketing efforts and our account management and relationship management efforts. And then when I can, I actually roll up my sleeves and, and participate as a strategist with key key relationships, key accounts, which is also super fun. So kind of that's it in a nutshell. Thank you. We're going to talk about both marketing and branding. Would like to know from your seat and your experience when it comes to how an institution should look at their brand, what would you think or in your opinion, what is the best way for them to do so? Um, all the time. <laughs> that's a little bit that's a little bit of a joke, but there's some logic behind it. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, what I would call contemporary definition of a brand um, is that it's about a lot more than sort of the traditional definition, right? I mean, the word branding, you know, derived from, you know, putting a brand on cattle, right? Um, so it was a, a logo, a stamp, a mark. Um, but today it's about an, an organization's, you know, kind of offer, their exper- the experience that they give to all their stakeholders. Um, and then the story that you tell authentically to, you know, convey what that offer is and what that, what that value proposition, if I can use a little jargon, mm-hmm. is. And so it's a very nuanced and complex thing. And when I joked and said all the time, it's because, uh, you know, brand, managing a brand is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year effort. And occasionally someone will say to me, like, oh, we did our brand three years ago. And I'm like, I don't even understand that, you know, like, did your brand. Um, and what they're saying is, is that they took a fresh look at it and they might have, you know, kind of taken a deeper dive than normal. But I think if you manage your brand all the time, you don't have to do that. It's an evolutionary process. Uh, and so I, I, I've said to people, I, I want to put rebranding out of business and just, you know, celebrate brand management. Yeah, I think that's a great point there, Bill. And I know that we kind of got introduced through uh, Ethan Braden, who's been a podcast guest a couple of times from uh, his role as, as a CMO at Purdue University. And I know that uh, you and Ethan worked together on the uh, Persistent Pursuit brand branding that they are working on and working out. Uh, and I think Ethan has a great passion on that. And I think you're right. I think that it's unfortunate that... Um, so many colleges and universities uh, especially get confused a little bit on what this is, that it, it is just that logo or it is that color palette or, you know, hey, we've got that under control. We didn't need to worry about that. But I, I try to tell people sometimes, too, it's, it's, it's as simple as what do I feel when I walk in from my car? I mean, what, what, is, what is the experience that I'm having getting frustrated finding a parking spot as a prospective student or, or as a donor or whatever? So, you know, unpack that a little bit because I think it's, it's something that I think every president and provost and, you know, enrollment professional need to kind of keep in mind. And maybe you can kind of explain it a little bit more. 
I, yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think, so first of all, I love what you said there because um, one of the benefits, many benefits working with Ethan, but one of them is uh, he has brought some of his other agencies to Purdue that he used to work with at, at Eli Lilly or mm -hmm. places that he was in the past. And one of them is a company called Brand Trust out of Chicago that is mostly a research uh, agency. Uh, but, but what I love about their philosophy is they, they, they sort of boil it down simply to the most important thing about a brand is how it makes you feel. They have books about this, and it sounds so simple, but it's not. And it is something that I think a lot of leaders in higher ed find a little too elusive to wrap their arms around. Um, and so that's why, you know, you have to have a discipline of answering that question. You know, how do we want students to feel? How do we want parents to feel? How do we want alumni to feel uh, when they think about Purdue or Nebraska or Sarah Lawrence or whoever? Mm -hmm. um, and so I really think that, you know, I always sort of try to bring it back to that and always remind people that the things that you said, like logos and color palettes, those are symbols, those are tools that should be derived from you know, kind of what do we stand for and how do we want people to feel about us? Yeah. And I think it's important too. And, and, you know, just you and I talked earlier when I was inviting you on the show that, you know, we, we have similar roles. We've got similar agencies. We just happen to fish in different ponds. Um, you guys are doing work with, with Purdue's and Nebraska's and other ones. I've got a smaller pond that I'm fishing in. And, but I think that one of the things, and, and because I have such a broad range of, of listeners, Troy and I do on this podcast, Sometimes I think people get scared and they think, oh, you're talking about branding. That's a that's a very expensive uh, endeavor that we would never be able to afford. We could never do that. But I think when you get down to the point when we start talking about how are you making people feel, there's a lot of things that people can do without bringing in a huge agency, bringing in other people, because a lot of it gets down to, well, how would I want to experience this place if I were coming in for the first time. Talk about that, because I'm sure that's part of the exercises that you do even as a strategist. And that's a great point, Bart. Managing a brand, developing a brand strategy, it doesn't require what you and I do. We're happy that there are some <laughs> yeah. that there are some institutions out there that, you know, say, hey, we need some extra help here. So we're happy about that. But but you know, if you're a marketing leader at a small college or a small anything, frankly, yeah. um, it's it you know there's plenty of resources to help you figure out how to define you know what do we stand for as a as an organization as a brand um, what does that mean then in terms of the way we deliver our offer the way we communicate the way we you know create an experience every day um, and I think everybody should do that I think if you have a bed and breakfast you should do that and and it, you don't have to hire anyone to do it if you get into specific things like oh we want a better logo then sure, if you don't have graphic designers on staff, you right. need some specific help. But that's the last stuff you should get to. I think the most important stuff is, you know, kind of the ethos of the organization and then how you live that every day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I think, I think it can be for everybody, and I don't think it requires an agency necessarily. I've told people before, if you want to figure out my philosophy and my marketing, on you go read my blog and my content. It's all there. But people are like, I don't have time. <laughs> I would rather hire right. you to do it. That's that's what it comes down to a lot of times. But I think that it's interesting, too. You talked about that ethos. And someone, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day talking about the difference between Starbucks and Dunkin'. 
It's like there's two different experiences that both of them are representing their brand. One is, you know, the idea of sitting down, enjoying conversation, having a, a, a second place to be able to do life, and, and it's inviting them to stay. Duncan's designed where, you know, America runs. It's, it's fast. It's get them in, get them out. You know, mm-hmm. there's not that warm sense of you're going to hang out in Duncan and just, you know, have your meetings there. Two separate brands ultimately selling the same product in a lot of ways, but there's different experiences and they draw different crowds and different individuals to those brands based on that. And I think that's the key sometimes is as an institution, um, as a college or university, understanding your audience well enough uh, to know how to position who you are naturally to be able to draw the right type of mission fit students, donors, engagement. How do you feel about that? First of all, I use, I think retail is one of the best places to draw analogies to higher ed, uh, even though sometimes people bristle a little bit yeah. because they feel like it somehow cheapens the conversation or something. But th- that's a great example. I hadn't thought of that example. The one I always use um, when I get pushback is Lowe's and Home Depot, who essentially sell the same stuff. Yep. Um, and it's in their general merchandisers, right? They sell a lot of different stuff because schools will often say, well, we... It's easy for Pratt to define its brand because they only do, you know, sort of design and architecture, right. but we can't do that. And I'm like, no, you can. If you look at Lowe's and Home Depot, Lowe's has said, or Home Depot has said, you know, we're going after kind of the contractor. Um, that It's more of a male audience. It's more of a roll up your sleeves, DI, true DIY audience. Lowe's has said, we're going to go more after, after the homeowner uh, who isn't confident, who might be female, who might, you know, want some help doing some of these projects and choosing the right things. And they're both legit yeah. brand positionings. They, they go after slightly different markets, you know, with the kind of a similar offer, but they, their whole experience is different because of who they're going after. I think every college and university can think that way and develop their own brand. Yeah. I think that's a great, great example. I love that. We would also like to get, your expertise, your opinion on marketing, and maybe starting out by describing some of the trends that you are noticing or the changes that you're seeing that's going on within higher ed marketing. Yeah, great. Um, well, I think higher ed marketing, you know, marketing, branding is a big word. Marketing is kind of an even bigger word. Um, <laughs> and so you, have, you definitely have to unpack it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I view marketing as sort of taking everything about the brand, the story, the value proposition, and putting it out there um, so that you know, you're kind of driving a, some collection of results. And I think in higher ed, the marketing lights are burning brightest in enrollment mm-hmm. right now, enrollment campaigns, enrollment marketing efforts, ongoing efforts. Probably just right behind them, right behind enrollment is you know, kind of fundraising and philanthropy and advancement. And then we're seeing a growing marketing effort and just reputation building, you know, just kind of some people call it brand marketing, and I think that's going to continue as well. So all three of those are a little different because they focus on slightly different audiences, but they're all starting to use the same, you know, kind of approach or similar approach and techniques. Like, so trends we're seeing digital first, absolutely, uh, but not digital only. Mm -hmm. It's about getting in the right mix. So some traditional media still makes sense in certain, for certain audiences and certain channels. Um, it's also about, you know, a more differentiated message um, and, and how important that is and how important. And that comes from the brand. 
So how important you know it is to to have that differentiated message, not just sit on the shelf in your brand standards, but actually be in the marketplace and be tied to a specific you know call to action or something like that. So I see in marketing in higher ed, I see more rapid change than I do in on the brand side. But it kind of makes sense when you think about what's happening, you know, to higher ed changing from all different angles. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love the fact that you really pointed out that differentiating. Um, that's one of the things that I continually talk a lot about. And I'm sure you do as well, where, you know, people, especially in enrollment, they want to talk about, well, here's our cross apps, who who's our competition, this is how we're working with it, this is what we're doing. And um, at least for me, a lot of times I, I'm kind of in a, a, a vertical, a niche within higher ed where it's like, well, we're another faith-based school just up the road, just like that other faith-based school. I'm like, okay, no, you're not. There's differences. There's uniqueness about your school. What is something that you do that no one else can do differently? And and I really challenge people on that. And I'm sure that you get these conversations too. You know, we're an R1 institution just like they're an R1 institution or different things like that. There's that idea of really being able to kind of lean into what is truly unique and different about your experience, your brand, everything about who they are. I mean, what are some of the things that you run into when people are pushing back on the differentiator or, or do they find it? Do bigger schools have kind of that already figured out sometimes and they know where to start? Um, I would say no. I, I think all schools struggle with that, right? Like bigger, smaller, um, highly ranked, not highly ranked. It, I, I don't think it matters. And I just think it's because higher ed came from a place that was relatively not competitive. Uh, it was collegial, right? That's where the word <laughs> right. comes from. Um, and, and even to the point where, and, and this still happens today, which is kind of cool, actually, that higher ed, you know, shares mm-hmm. sort of best practices. And so it, it, there was not the pressure to have a differentiated message. You know, you even, you even heard schools, you know, like we're the Harvard of the Midwest, as right. if, you know. But I think today, uh, especially in enrollment, you have to have, you have to define what it is that authentically makes you, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and every school is different. You just have to dive deeper layer after layer till you get to how it's different. Sometimes it's a culture. Uh, sometimes it's, sometimes it is just the way you package your message. Um, and that's okay. You know, you can have two schools that are almost identical in terms of their offer and their size and their location. But one taught, like faith-based schools is interesting. You know, you can have two Jesuit schools and one can talk about itself very differently than another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loyal, Loyola Marymount can talk about itself very differently than Gonzaga. And maybe that's the biggest difference. But that conversation they're having, that brand story, is probably different because it's based on how they were founded, how they approach, you know, blending their faith and their educational mm-hmm approach. So I think it's just, I think it's just diving deep. You just can't do it on the surface because on the surface, a lot of schools look the same. Yeah. It's really, I I like how you talked about that. It's almost like mining. You have to mine that information out of the institution and the Mm -hmm. institutional's shared knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the importance of a lot of focus groups. Let me go back to something else that you just talked about too. This idea of that, you know, we've talked about enrollment. We talked about advancement. I'm sure a lot of my audience was like, what was that third one he talked about? That reputation marketing and you know, unpack that a little bit because I, I think that's an interesting, uh, like you said, it's an interesting new um, new direction that a lot of schools are taking, and it's not for everyone. But tell me a little bit about what what you're experiencing with that. 
Yeah, I think it's it varies by school. I mean, we have had some schools come to us with this ask, with this request, and their motivation was to move up in the rankings, right? right? So some sometimes it's driven by that, which I I agree and disagree with. Like I understand the sentiment, but but I don't I don't advise any school to to sort of focus too much on the rankings. Right. That's easy for me to say, but <laughs> but I think I think more the case is. Um, you know, like we just, we just, we're in the process of doing a large kind of reputation building campaign with the University of Pittsburgh. And their goal is simply to make sure that they're understood beyond their kind of traditional footprint of Western Pennsylvania um, and the surrounding contiguous states. So the, the campaign is meant to remind people what Pitt's all about. And it's to remind people in the Northeast Corridor and in DC. And, and in Philadelphia, which you'd think like, well, that's the same state, but Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are like, they, they might as well be different states. Right. Um, and so it's really just to make sure that people understand, uh, it's to build awareness, but it's also to make sure they understand like, what's, what's Pitt all about? Like what drives them? What, you know, kind of what's behind them um, so that they can be in the consideration set, not just for enrollment, but for funding, for research projects, mm-hmm. for, you know, competing for for philanthropic dollars when you have multiple households or you might have a Penn State grad and a Pitt grad and a lot of different people in the household. So I think it, it's kind of like it, dry, it, it supports all efforts. Right. Uh, it's kind of an umbrella campaign. That's great. And I think that a lot of times those types of campaigns and, and even down to enrollment and, and development, everything that has to do with marketing, I think, comes out of somebody thinking about marketing on the campus kind of all the time. And I think part of what I want to talk about, we had um, Terry Flannery on the uh, podcast a few uh, weeks ago, and you know, she's written the book, How to Market a University. And uh, one of the things that we talked about on the podcast that she was quite passionate about that I've given a lot of thought to is, is the idea of having marketing in some voice at the, at the cabinet level. Um, you know, a lot of times it might be a chief marketing officer like like at uh, some of the larger institutions. Other times it might be the combination of a vice president of enrollment and marketing or advancement. Sometimes marketing rolls up underneath them. Sometimes I've seen it just, you know, literally the director of marketing reports directly to the president. Um, Help me understand a little bit about what you see and and where that's going, because um, I'm working with some small schools right now that quite, and I had this conversation just a few minutes ago with part of my team is that Sometimes there's not an understanding of what marketing is doing. And even though it reports, reports up to a leader, the leader sometimes isn't necessarily recognizing the importance that marketing could be doing other than just generating more leads. And so, you know, unpack that for me a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with everything you said. And in the last, you know, we've been in higher ed about a dozen years. And, and in that time frame, we've seen uh, a continuous evolution toward a centralized, more focused marketing leader leadership model, uh, almost always on the cabinet at cabinet level, um, and I think I think it's I think it's required. I don't even I'm right. not even saying anymore it's preferred. I'm saying it's required. Now I know there's a lot of schools out there that don't have that, uh, but you know my advice would be to keep keep pushing, finagling, you know, uh, get your board members involved, whatever it takes, because it's it's the way that. It's the successful way, but it's also the way a lot of other industries have proven that you know marketing needs to be at the table and needs to have that voice. Um, sometimes it's it's connected to uh, the areas like advancement and enrollment that have the biggest voice right. in, in the brand. 
Other times it's a chief marketing and communications officer because especially with smaller schools, there's a legacy of more of a communications kind of sure. a newsroom function. Yeah. I don't think there's any right answer to that. I think the biggest right answer is, is, is you know, higher ed can't spend its way to fame, right? They're just, you just, higher ed just can't compete yet with the budgets that other categories have. So if you fracture the brand by having it, you know, spread across multiple people, um, you're going to work against yourself. You're going to create your own headwind. If if you consolidate as much as possible and speak with one voice and have one marketing effort that serves all the functions within the college or university, you're going to be able to overcome that disadvantage uh, more quickly and more efficiently. Yeah, that's great. And and I think you just rightly pointed out that there's a lot of different levels at different institutions, and, and we're not going to be able to you know spend our way to that type of... Um, uh, competition maybe in the other industries and types of things. But one of the things that I do know that happens when you do have somebody that is a, a chief marketing officer or somebody really understands marketing well at a leadership level is they're really looking at those key performance indicators. They're really being able to take the data that is being generated by everything that we're doing. I mean, you know, we can we can take data out of uh, systems like Slate and, and enrollment data. We can take it out of, you know, systems uh, for, for advancement. But then we also, with all of our digital campaigns, I mean, we have, we have data, you know, at the ready. What are some of the KPIs that, that you, you know, as a strategist start looking at from marketing that you kind of help your clients to focus on? And I know that varies based on whether it's enrollment or advancement or reputation. But, I mean, just for a, just for a common, you know, three or four KPIs that you think are important for people to be paying attention to? We always advise, no matter what, even if we're not doing branding work for a client, we always advise that they have a kind of a brand dashboard uh, or like a brand health, um, you know, kind of uh, collection of KPIs. And and those are pretty straightforward. I mean, awareness Mm -hmm. is one. It's not automatically measured in the marketplace, so it might be one that you have to measure yourself. Uh, you know, perceptions uh, and associations is another one. And again, that's not something that's measured. I do think as long as the rankings are out there, you need to, you know, have those as part of the dashboard. And then I think it's just the overall, you know, metrics of areas like enrollment, advancement, um, and, and how, and, and the things that, you know, kind of marketing drives to move those forward. There's a lot of things that marketing doesn't necessarily right. have control over, like, you know, your financial aid package or, or things like that. But, but I, those are the kind of things we recommend in a brand dashboard. And then everything else, when we get into KPIs, is kind of at the campaign level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, engagement KPIs and, you know, kind of ROI for, you know, kind of a media spend or an overall effort for a campaign. I'm not a big fan of the lead gen approach to, especially enrollment, because I think it, focuses too much on KPIs and not enough on putting the right message in the right right place at the right time. Um, I understand where it comes from, but, um, but I think that schools over time are going to learn that just generating leads, you know, is, you know, you can game that system, but you can end up creating other problems like retention problems and things like that. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, and we've worked with a client recently just on the idea of, generating leads but we've got to have mission fit leads and i mean i don't i mean mission fit sounds like it's only a faith-based type of thing but there's a mission fit for every university it's it's the idea of 
is are the right students who are going to succeed the most at your institutions the ones that are actually you know getting in the inquiry pool from an enrollment standpoint and going through and so i think that's really critical and i really appreciate that um, that idea and i think that going back to what you said about the kpis on the brand dashboard teasing this out for some of the smaller schools that might be listening and they're like oh yeah it sounds great if if i could have you know research done every year well you actually can i mean admitted student research that's a good way to measure some of that um you know you can certainly do some surveys with with uh, alumni or even just uh you know there's there's a lot of ways to get that awareness that perception research and again it goes back to you know reading some books following up just reading some things there's there's ways to bring all this down to the lowest shelf and i think a lot of times that um uh, it gets discounted too quickly because we're small and so i I just think that these these uh, these ideas are things that i want people to kind of keep in mind without getting tripped up on the fact of dismissing it to say i'm not big enough to be able to do that I agree. There's a lot of tools out there. Um, and, and yeah, I completely agree that you should start with the metrics you already collect. Um, maybe just work a little harder to figure out, you know, the impact of marketing and brand work on those metrics. And then measuring awareness, you know, it just depends on, on what your strategy is. Like right. I've heard, I've had some small schools say to us, like, we want to be a national brand. And my first question is why, <laughs> exactly. um, you know, like, do you need to do that? Right. Like, sure, if you get some kids from across the country, that's great. But you know, why don't you own the backyard? Start yeah. there, and, and then and then that awareness is easier to measure. And sometimes I think even those small schools miss the opportunity that they could be a national brand within a certain niche of where they are. So, mm-hmm. like a, within a church or within a diocese or, or different areas of being able to be known within the context of who you are. Um, you know, you don't have to be the national brand that is, you know, the, the D1 football team that's on Saturday afternoons. Bill, I would like to revisit a conversation that we had off the podcast, here on the podcast, if you allow. And it was because your opinion was so insightful and you said it was some passion. And that's the topic of the new shiny object approach to enrollment marketing. And would like to know what you're seeing and uh, give us your opinion on that and maybe, you know, what you would recommend as an alternative for some of the schools that follow that logic. Yeah, and what I, what I mean by that is um, that I think too many schools and their enrollment functions have, you know, are sort of tempted to seek out a solution that is that is, you know, a technology-driven solution that is going to, you know, kind of be that, to use an older term, killer app, if you will, um, that's going to just, you know, definitely, like, beat everybody else's approach and get us, you know, fill our funnel and it's all going to be the right. And and while I'm not anti-technology, I'm very pro-technology, I'm very, you know, as I said, we're a digital-first mindset agency. Um, if If you don't have the right story, if you don't have the right value proposition, the right message no technology will save you, right? I mean, and, and so you have to work the whole spectrum from, you know, again, what do we stand for? What do we offer? And then if, that, if you can convert that into a really compelling message and story, then leverage technology, those shiny objects, whatever they are, right. uh, channel, you know, CRM. I mean, you know what they all are. And, and then there's all sorts of variants of, of those kind of things then leverage those because you've got good ammunition to start with. When I go to a conference like um, NACAC and 
I kind of wander the exhibit hall, I just see so much emphasis on, you know, kind of the killer app mentality. And I'm looking around for like, who has a really good enrollment story? Like, what, how do right. we find that? And maybe NACAC's just not the right place to find that, but, um, and I'm not, you know, it's a right. great conference, but, but it, that's kind of what I mean. And yeah, I am a little passionate about that because I used to do a lot of work in banking and it was the same thing. This was decades ago, but it was the same thing when banking was sort of going through its disruption is that, you know, there was always going to be a technology that was going to save banking. And I'm like, I, I think customer service and experience <laughs> has a, a lot to do with why people want to bank with you as opposed to just, you know, you have a better online uh, bank. Yeah. So. yeah, that's great. I agree with that. And I think that sometimes those, those shiny objects, I mean, I, I can't tell you, Bill, and you're hearing the same thing. It's like, well, what should we do on TikTok? What should we do on Be Real? And I'm like, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to say before you even sign up for the for the account. And um, there's, there is that sense that if we just do this or if we just got that app or if we just you know, did more of this lead gen, then we would have all of our problems solved. And it's going to turn into other problems later on. I agree with your, your assessment on that that you said earlier. So thanks for that, that uh, perspective. Our last question for you today, Bill, if there was a piece of advice that you could give that one of our listeners could take and implement immediately that you feel would move the needle for them, what piece of advice would you offer? Wow, that's a big one. Um, so many. I, I think probably the area that I see that is that I wish I wouldn't see, but I see it a lot, is where so much emphasis on branding and marketing is a, is about the outside versus the inside. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, you know, get some get alignment, right? Mm-hmm. Work hard to get not just within your small group of marketing and communications or large group, whatever it is, get alignment across the institution um, and in terms of what you're trying to do, what your story is, what your message is. Um, a, you know, great brands, great marketing efforts start with everybody, you know, kind of being on the same page. I mean, it sounds kind of cliche and trite, but it's true. Um, and so often when we first meet with somebody, and we ask the question, like, what kind of what's the climate on campus in terms of a supportive branding understanding of it or supportive marketing understanding of it? If we get an answer that's like, well, it's not great, but don't worry about them. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, no, like, time out. Yeah. Um, and, and I've just seen it time and time again when a school takes the time to get the inside right. I, years ago, we worked with West Virginia right after Dr. Gee got there for the second time. And what I loved about the experience we had is we worked on the, their brand for, I don't know, four to six months. And then they told us, they said, we're not rolling this out for another four to six months because we want to get all the deans mm-hmm. and all the department heads and all the, you know, all the internal leaders and stakeholders really aligned on this before we buy one billboard, place one digital ad. And I was like, wow, you, yes, <laughs> please, yeah. more of this. So that would be the one I would jump on. That's great. Thank you, Bill. And I would argue with thoughts like that is the reason why schools bring the both of you in. So thank you very much. I'm sure that people would, after listening, would like to reach out to you. And what is the best way for someone to get a hold of you? What would that be? I try to be, even even though I'm an old grandfather, which I shared with you already, <laughs> I, I try to be as active on as many platforms as possible. I mean, clearly email is always great. Bfaustetology.com is is uh, is pretty easy to remember. But you know, LinkedIn, uh, 
Twitter, like like all those platforms, Instagram, sure. I try to be on all of them. So if anybody ever wants to reach out, and of course, you know, ology.com, um, you know, there's there's ways to reach me on that as well. We're always willing to connect with people, but uh, pretty easy to find, I think. Yep. Very good. Well, thank you for your time and the wisdom that you shared with us and the audience. Bart, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? I really enjoyed the conversation, Bill. Thank you so much for being a part of the of the podcast. And I um, I just want to point out a few things that Bill said that I think are so important is that we talk a lot about branding. We talk a lot about messaging. We talk a lot about techniques and ways to do that. But I think that a couple of things that Bill has said a couple of times during this conversation that I just want to reemphasize so that we all understand and we all agree, we have to start with messaging. We have to start with what differentiates you and who are you. Brands grow out of that. Our marketing campaigns grow out of that the communications grows out of it. And, and I think that alignment part that he talked about at the very end is so critical is that can you define who you are and what makes you different? Can you put that in a messaging platform and can you get everyone on campus to agree on that? Then you can go after all those shiny objects, all the things that you need to do, the different ways that you're going to execute that campaign. But I really appreciate the fact that Bill is kind of starting at the ground floor at the building blocks of where we need to go. And so, um, Really, thanks again, Bill. It's been a wonderful conversation and uh, really appreciate all of the, uh, the inspiration that you've provided me personally over the years. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be on this and uh, looking forward to hearing how it turns out. But thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, providing significant lift in yield, following your list with precisely targeted ads. And also, we could not do this podcast without our superstar producer, Rob Conlon of Westport Studios. So again, on behalf of our guest, Bill Faust, Bart Kaler, and myself, Troy Singer, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.